0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. The, the series that we're covering during the month of December is a series called Kingdom Come, and for for hundreds and hundreds of years, the nation of Israel was Eagerly anticipating the coming of their Savior, the, the arrival of their Messiah. And they looked for that and they anticipated that and they waited for that. And it kind of reminds me of kids waiting for Christmas. Now, I'm older than some of the folks around here, not as old as some. We won't name names, but if you're my age or maybe a little older, you, you probably remember one of my favorite things at Christmas time was always getting the Christmas catalogs in the mail. You remember the big, thick, so we'd get J.C. JCPenney, and we'd get Sears, and we'd get, we, we had something down south called Service Merchandise. Okay, some of you know that. Uh, so we would get three or four catalogs at Christmas time, and as a little boy, I would just tear that thing open, and I would lay on the floor with my chubby face and my chubby hands, and I would circle the things I wanted, you know, and I'd highlight the things I really wanted, and I could not wait to see what Santa was going to bring me from the catalog, because apparently Santa worked in conjunction with Sears and service merchandise and all these places. I didn't know. And, uh, and there's a sense of anticipation. I can't wait to see what I get. I can't wait to see what I receive. And so I felt like it was really appropriate for us during this season to talk about the prophecies of Christ from the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks Uh, Because really, when we talk about prophecy, we start getting weird about it sometimes. But really, what prophecy is, is is God downloading something to us to give us some hope, to give us some encouragement about the future. Um, And what would happen in the Old Testament is we see several times God download something to someone, give them something they need so that they could be sustained through a difficult season, so they could have some hope for the future, so they could anticipate what was to come. And, and really, this is what this season is all about. And when we look at Scripture, there's a couple of ty- kind of, of prophecies in regards to Jesus. Um, and, and I'm, I'm kind of getting into the weeds on this. Please forgive me. There is messianic prophecy, and this is specific prophecy about Christ. These are things from the Old Testament that it is very specific. It has no other meaning. It is about the Messiah who is going to come and come again. And so it is messianic. And then there's a type of prophecy... It's a little more vague, but it's called pictorial prophecy. And what pictorial prophecy is, is maybe in the Old Testament there's a situation or circumstance that foreshadows the Messiah. Now, it doesn't foretell the Messiah, but it foreshadows. It gives you a glimpse of what the Messiah might be like or what he might do. Um, And so Moses is a Christ type in the Old Testament because he is a Savior. Now, he's not Christ, but he foreshadows the Christ. Does that make sense? And so all in all, there are about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Christ fulfills in the New Testament. There's about 60 of those that people, most scholars would agree, are messianic, truly messianic in the sense of they're very, very, very specific. And the rest are pretty specific, but there's kind of a dual meaning to them. There was a here and now meaning in the the prophecy in the Old Testament, and, and then it took on new meaning in Christ. So when we look at this, though, sometimes we look at this and go, okay, that's great, but what's the big deal? Well, I want you to know something. Uh, one of the reasons I believe the Scripture is true because, is because Jesus fulfilled the prophecy over his life. And you go, well, Mel, what's the big deal in that? Couldn't he make it happen? I mean, the prophecies, the newest prophecy about the Messiah before Christ was about 400 years before his birth. So when he was born, couldn't he have looked at all the prophecies and go, okay, what do I need to do, right? Okay, I need to, okay, I need to do this. I'm supposed to go here. I'm supposed to have this conversation. I'm supposed to be raised from the dead. So I got to do all this stuff, right? And so the rational side of us would say, well, couldn't he have done that? Maybe, but statistically, it's a long shot at best. Because when we look at the pure statistics of things, again, the end of the Old Testament was written in around 450 B.C., hundreds of years before Christ was born. And there were about 300 prophecies about his life that he was to fulfill if he was really who he said he was. So just from a mathematics perspective, you go, well, what are the odds that somebody could do that? And the odds are pretty slim. See, from the Journal of Science Speaks, uh, a mathematician named Peter Stoner he came up with this. He said that if you only took eight of the prophecies at random of the 300, if you took eight of them at random, and um, the probability of all eight being fulfilled in one person is roughly 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, again, you might be like me, and you don't really understand what that means. Let me put it this way. It's 1 in 1 with 17 zeros after it. That's the odds of someone fulfilling eight of the 300 prophecies about the life of Christ. That's the chance. Let me, let me make this a little more clear to you. Um, let's say uh, we took silver dollars and we placed them side by side, stacked them up all over the entire state of Texas. And we did that one foot deep, silver dollars. And then I asked you, To find one random dollar that I'd picked and thrown into the pile, you get one shot. That would be the odds that one man could fulfill eight of the 300 prophecies that Christ fulfilled. That's that's pretty mind-blowing, right? Texas is a big place. My wife's from there. She will tell you about it. These people love Texas when they live from Texas, okay? They're proud of it. It's big. Everything's bigger in Texas. So, so the odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. And you thought the Powerball odds were long, right? <laughs> I'm saving my few bucks because there's no way I'm going to win that. One in 100 quadrillion. I actually had to look up what came after trillion just to make sure because quadrillion sounds a little bit made up to me. So, so let's take it a step further. Let's say one person was going to fulfill 48 of the 300 prophecies. Now the number just gets ridiculous. You you want to know what the number is? I can't even tell you what the number is. You want me to show you what the number is? Let's take a look. What's the number? There it is. One in that. This is is the odds one in this number that one person could fulfill 48 of the prophecies from the Old Testament of Christ. This is one of the reasons I feel strongly about The authenticity of Scripture. This is one of the reasons I feel strongly about who Christ is, because it's not just some blind faith I have, but it's lining up and seeing, hey, there are things that are impossible to manipulate in the Old Testament that, that Christ did in the New Testament. There are things that are historical facts that he did that are verifiable. And so this tells me that there's more than just blind faith when it comes to our faith. So when we look at prophecy, it's not just some fun exercise, but what we're really doing is is strengthening our faith and encouraging ourselves about who God is and what he wants to do. So we're going to jump in tonight. A lot of the prophecy about the Messiah was found in either the book of Isaiah or the book of Jeremiah, two of the major prophets, and they're not called major prophets because they're more important. They're called major prophets because the the books they wrote were just bigger. And so a lot of what we've seen is in Isaiah and Jeremiah, we're going to start Tonight, we're just going to take one. Every week, we're going to take one and just walk through it together. And tonight, we're going to look at a passage from Isaiah chapter 7. And before we get into this, I want to give you a little context. In the book of Isaiah, the nation of Israel had split. So there was a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. Now... Um, Judah is what was descended from David. This is where Christ came from, the southern kingdom of Judah. They were, they were at odds with each other, and the Assyrian Empire was coming to strength geographically in the world. And the Assyrian Empire had its eyes set on uh, this region. And so the Syrians and the northern kingdom, they came together in an alliance, and they decided, we're going to work together, and if we're working together, it's going to pressure the southern kingdom to join our alliance as well. But the southern kingdom said, we don't want to do that because we know the Syrians and the Israelites aren't really living that godly. Um, so what are we supposed to do with the Assyrian empire breathing down our neck? And the king at that time, who you actually find in the lineage of Christ, um, he, he goes to God and he s- says to God, um, God, I'm not even going to ask you to respond. I'm not even going to ask you to answer my prayer to save us but I know you will. So God, do your thing, basically. And then he prophesies to the nation and um, he, he gives a prophecy that, that we talk about at Christmas time pretty regularly. It's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And he's talking to them about their, their struggle. They feel desperate. They feel hopeless. There are these empires. There's these warring nations breathing down their neck. The future of their, their nation looks a little bleak. And this is what The king says, King Ahaz, he says in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this has very different context when we see it in the New Testament than it does in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what he's saying is, hey, we feel alone, we feel like nobody's on our side, like, you know, they want us an alliance, but it's only because they're out to get us. And so we're isolated, we're by ourselves we got nobody to help us. And then he says, but guess what? God's going to send help. God's going to send his Messiah, the Messiah that we've been waiting on. His Messiah is going to come. And his Messiah is going to come not as a king, but he's going to come as an infant, as a child. Now, what we see is, in the context of this prophecy, what he's saying is, our salvation will come. It might just take a while. Because he wasn't even saying it's going to come in 500 years in Bethlehem. That's not what he was saying. But he was saying this is what God has spoken to us, that his Messiah is on the way, and he's going to come as a child. And what we see played out here is that they were anticipating their salvation taking 30 years or 40 years cause, because the child would have to grow and become a king and become a Messiah, become a Savior. And we see some things play out a little differently for the nation of Judah here. And we'll we'll come back to that in just a little bit. But what we see is, he gives us prophecy. And he says, you're feeling desperate, you're feeling hopeless, but guess what? A Savior's coming. (laughs) How appropriate is that even for us today? The nation we live in. The confusing time we live in, the the people around us, so much confusion, so much fear, so much worry, so much doubt, so much insecurity about the future. What is the stock market going to do? What are the finances going to do? Housing market, right? All elections, all these things, and we go, ugh. And it's almost as if the prophet Isaiah showed up today and he said, hey, you know what? Let me, or Jeremiah showed up today and he said, hey, let me tell you about something, or I'm sorry, Isaiah hey, guess what? There's there's a Savior that's going to come. But he's not going to show up like you anticipate him to. He's going to come like a baby. Again, we have the power of hindsight, so we can look back and go, oh, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, right? That's right, but at the time, they're just waiting, going, God, we're waiting for you to show up. We're believing you're going to show up. We know your your salvation is coming, but we don't know what it's going to look like, and we don't know when it's going to arrive, but we trust you. Now, if you fast forward, About 450 years. There's a woman named Mary who um, was minding her own business. She's engaged to be married. The scripture tells us she's betrothed, and what that means is she's engaged. But it's different than engagement today because engagement today means we're planning to get married. But if he's an idiot, we won't. Right? So an engagement, a betrothal in biblical times, was more akin to marriage. So there was a deep commitment to each other. Like, hey, we're committed. We're not walking away from each other. But there was no physical contact. So that there was no there there was no um, sexual relations between a, between a, two people that were betrothed. So she was a virgin. She was going about her business, and an angel of the Lord shows up. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, I love how the Bible says things like that, before they came together, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he was a godly man. He was a just man. He didn't want her to be publicly shamed. So he he decided, hey, we're going to end our relationship quietly, and they would call it a divorce because in many ways that's what it was like. Again, the commitment was the same in a betrothal as it was in a marriage. And so he said, hey, we're going to divorce quietly, and I want to do the honorable thing for you. I don't want you to be put to shame. So he was a good man. And verse 20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. She will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when we look at this, we go, Man, that's great. Oh, yeah, that's Christmas. That's what we talk about at Christmas time, right? And then we say, But what's the big deal? Virgin birth, no virgin birth. Does it really matter? And for many of us in the room, I would probably say, you might struggle to figure out why it really matters. You know it matters, but you're not sure why it matters. And I want to walk through this with you tonight, because I think it's important that we understand that, that God had a purpose and a plan and a reason to do what he did, That he encouraged us in the arrival of the Savior that we could anticipate, so we could eagerly look forward to the arrival of a Savior. But then even the means by which he delivered the Savior to us is important for us today. So when we look at this, there's four things I want you to know. The first thing is the virgin birth displays the supernatural or the supernatural nature of Christ from the very beginning. So what it does is it puts on display the fact that Jesus is not some normal baby from the very beginning. Now, we'll talk about this in a minute. He was 100% God and 100% man. That I used to think when I was a kid that Jesus, as a child, as a baby, he didn't cry, right? He probably didn't poop his diapers because he's Jesus, right? <laughs> but that wasn't the case. He was 100% man, He cried like other babies cried. He had to learn to walk like other babies learn to walk. He had to learn to talk like other babies learn to talk. He didn't come out fully formed saying, woman, I greet thee today and I welcome thee. Thank you for giving birth to this humble form. That's not how it happened. He was crying just like your baby cried when they were born, right? Wailing. It was a mess. It was a little bit chaotic, which flies in the face of silent night. Does any of you that have ever had kids know there is no silent night when you have children? Right. (laughs) So what we see from the very beginning is that Jesus is supernatural. That Jesus is beyond normal. So this is this is what I find interesting. We forget that God's natural is supernatural. We forget. So when we pray prayers, we pray prayers that go like, oh, God, I don't know if you can heal this, but, you know, I'm believing, you know, so I'm trusting you, God. We're acting like it's a big deal. It's a big deal to us, it's supernatural to us, but to God, supernatural is natural. That's what he does. Supernatural is his middle name, right? Impossible is possible with God. It's no big deal. Why? Because he is supernatural. And he put that on display from the very beginning of Jesus' life. He said, hey, you know what? I'm going to send my son to earth, incarnate. And I'm not just going to have him show up. Because he could have showed up as a king. Did you know that? He could have just floated down from heaven. But he didn't do that. He, he said, I'm going to send him to be born of a woman. I'm going to send him to be born of a virgin. And it... <laughs> Sometimes we think the Bible's a fairy tale. Can you imagine the conversation that Mary had with Joseph? like a real-life conversation? <laughs> hey, Mary, what's up? Um, well, you know, it's been a busy day, and oh, really, anything new? Yeah, yeah. 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 You want to talk about it? Well,, uh, I need to let you know something. Okay, what's going on? Uh, I'm with child. You got a child with you? No, I'm I'm pregnant. You are pregnant? Who is he? Where is he at? I'm gonna kill, right? No, no, no. That's not how it happened. It was a miracle. The Holy Spirit. An angel came to me and told me that I was carrying the Messiah that we've been waiting on for hundreds of years, and and I'm I'm carrying the child and. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit impregnated me. What? Like, that's the time when you go, we're going on Maury. We're getting a DNA test, right? Like, <laughs> right? That's that moment where you go, okay, this doesn't even, some, come on, right? And so what we see later is the angel showed up to Joseph, and he says, hey, Joseph, I need to confirm stories for you, Right? I need to make sure we're on the same page here. But this wasn't easy. And if you could really believe that a virgin could give birth, because again, this is supernatural. If you can really believe that a virgin can give birth to the Savior of the universe, a woman who had no standing in society, a woman who had no real voice in society, would carry the Savior of the universe. God incarnate would rest in her womb. If we can believe that, there is nothing that we can't believe for. There is no greater miracle than this, that God came to earth incarnate to be born of a virgin Mary. It displays the supernatural nature of who Christ really is. One of our core values here at Summit Church is big faith. And the truth is, sometimes we don't have big faith because... We forget that our God is a supernatural God. We forget our God is a God of impossible. So we pray little prayers. We pray safe prayers. We pray easy prayers. And then we wonder why God never does anything miraculous in our lives. It's because we've stopped asking, asking God for the supernatural because we've forgotten he's supernatural. So the first thing is the virgin birth displays the supernatural nature of Christ from the very beginning. The second thing is the virgin birth displays our need for a savior. And that we were powerless to provide that salvation ourselves. We've talked about this a lot here. Um, but, but we, as human beings, are incapable of saving ourselves. Now, we can say we know that, but we still drift into works-based salvation. Well, if I just attend church enough, if I just work hard enough, if I stop cussing, if I stop looking at porn, if I stop being mean to people, if I stop whatever it is, if I stop that, then I'm good. But the truth is, we're not saved because we're good. We're saved because he chooses us and we accept him. And That's hard for us to understand because we live in a meritocracy. Many times where when we work hard, we achieve and we deserve and I win and right, I get the trophy because I came in first place. But, but what we see in the kingdom of heaven is it's not a meritocracy. We are people that were in desperate need of rescuing. And we were incapable of rescuing ourselves. Uh, A few years ago, there was a story that kind of gripped the world. Uh, A group of 10, uh, I believe it was 10 or 11 um, 12-year-olds in Thailand, they went into these caves with their soccer coach to escape this rain, and the more it rained, the more the water rose. And they thought, this is a good idea for us to go deeper into the caves. So they went deeper into the caves. And before you know it, they were totally stuck. They were isolated. Nobody knew where they were. They found their bikes outside the caves. But they literally had to put on scuba gear and go down. It was 4,000 meters away from the entrance this is where they had to swim down through tunnels. Some of the tunnels were 15 inches wide. 15 inches is not much, right? It's about that much. It's about that much, right? (laughs) They had to put oxygen tanks in the water along the way just for safety purposes. One man who was a SEAL in Thailand, their equivalent to a SEAL, died trying to rescue these kids. They could not get out on their own. And yet these people worked feverishly, tirelessly, hour after hour, to rescue someone that couldn't rescue themselves. And spiritually, we were in the same place. We were isolated. We were hopeless. There was no way for us to save ourselves. And Jesus showed up. He arrived on the scene. See, the the reason God had to get involved in this thing is because if it was just humans, then human beings could solve the problem. But human beings couldn't solve the problem. Human beings are the problem. So God said, no, 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 let me get involved in this. I want to send a Savior. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so when Jesus shows up in the form of a baby, this is not what people were expecting. When He shows up to a virgin, this is not what people were expecting. But what it does is it displays the fact that we cannot save ourselves, that we are powerless to provide salvation on our own. Third thing I'd mention to you tonight. The virgin birth displays God's initiative in reconciling humanity to Himself. See, some people think God is a laid back, distant God. I believe God is a God that gets involved in our lives. I think he is a hands dirty God, if that makes sense. Like he he doesn't go, ooh, they're kind of a mess. Somebody should take care of this. He goes, man, these people are a mess. I'm rolling up the sleeves, right? I'm getting involved in this. I want to be be involved in what's going on in this person's life. I think that's how God functions. He doesn't just spin the world and step back and wait to see what happens. I think he gets involved. And one of the things that leads me to believe that is another uh, interpretation of this. This is from Luke. So uh, we mentioned Luke last week at the end of our Colossians series. Um, he was a companion of Paul, but he also spent some time with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so when Luke was writing his gospel, he actually, uh, according to history and according to some things you see in his gospel, uh, he interviewed Mary about her experience. And so he has a little bit of a different take on it than some of the other gospel writers. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he he came to her, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." He will be great. he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. I don't know if you saw this right in the middle of this passage. It says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. You know what it doesn't say? Hey, what do you think about this? I've got an opportunity for you I'd like you to pray about. If you feel like it, if if it works out with your time schedule, if it's not too much of a commitment, I would like for you to to carry and birth the Savior of the universe. Can just pray about it. I don't. No pressure, right? No. What does it say? Hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm just letting you know this is what's going to happen. And Mary goes on to say, "Yeah, sign me up. I'm a willing vessel." Is what basically what she says later. What we see. Over and over in Scripture is is God is a God that takes initiative. In the very beginning in the book of Genesis, um, one of this beautiful picture of who God is and what he does for us is that Adam and Eve sinned. God talks to them about the consequence of their sin. Because they've sinned, now here's the consequence, because there's always consequence with sin. God still still can reconcile and restore, but there's always consequence. So God talks to them about the consequence of their sin. And and then we see uh, he the very first animal sacrifice. He sacrifices an animal and he takes the skin and he covers their nakedness with it. Because this is the heart of God, to cover us and to, to cover our sins. That's who he is. That's what he does. He took the initiative to do that. He could have said, you know what, guys? You were making do with these fig leaves. You just figured it out. You're doing just fine without me. So Because that's probably what I would do. I'd be a little offended. I'd just be passive aggressive about it. Well, fine, you just go about and do your thing. That's just fine. But no, what did God do? He said, "I'm going to take initiative to cover their sin, to cover their nakedness. This is what I'm going to do." And this is what we see here in Luke. They come to Mary and they say, "Mary, here's what's going to happen. This is going to make you uncomfortable. This is going to maybe give you a bad reputation. This is going to maybe cause problems in your relationships. But this is what God's going to do because of it." And it wasn't optional. This was a divine partnership. This is what you have to understand. God longs to use finite vessels to carry his infinite glory. So there's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online, there's not a person with an earshot that could say, I'm not worthy. That's right, you're not worthy. But God delights in taking the unworthy and making it worthy. God delights in taking a vessel that is imperfect and putting his perfection in it. That's who he is. That's what he does. Because a rational person wouldn't have picked this girl, wouldn't have picked this particular girl at all. They would have found somebody that was more notable, right? Somebody who, who, who had some sort of aristocracy or a place in society, but no, he picks this lowly virgin and he uses her to display his glory. The fourth thing and the last thing. The virgin birth displays the, the 100% God and 100% nature of Christ. This is something we've talked about a little before. Um, This is kind of akin to the Trinity. When people ask me about the Trinity, can you explain the Trinity to me? I'm like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Not really. Well, can you try? I can try. And so I'll use an illustration like this. We'll say, okay, you know, water, it takes different forms. It's water, but if you freeze it, it's ice. And if you heat it up, it's vapor, right? It takes different forms, but it's all molecularly, it's the same. And this is kind of what the Trinity is. And that's the crudest, most rudimentary description of the Trinity in the world. But that's about the best I can do, because it's hard to explain the Trinity. (laughs) Because there are people who believe we worship three gods. We don't worship three gods. They're three in one. So I don't know how I explain that really, but this is what we believe, okay? And so just below the Trinity, trying to explain the Trinity, is trying to explain how Jesus was God and man. Well, how is that? How do you reconcile that? Uh, Because I used to think when I was a kid, well, he was God and man, so he cheated his whole life, right? Well, of course he did miracles. He was God. I would be embarrassed if I didn't do miracles and I was God, right? Right? So as a kid, I used to think, well, duh, no wonder he lived a perfect life, no wonder he did all the miracles, no wonder he could go to the cross, because he was God. But, but what I began to realize as I got older is that Jesus didn't lay aside his deity when he took on the human form, but he did empty himself of his glory. So he became vulnerable, and he became ordinary. So he had to eat, and he got tired, and as a baby, he cried. And he made a mess in his diaper because he emptied himself of his glory. Um, We're going to talk about this in a few weeks, but one of the things I've thought a lot about, in the United States, we don't care much for royalty. I mean, like, we like, for some reason, I don't understand this, and if this is you, that's fine, but I don't understand the fascination Americans have with British royals. Like, we got rid of them a long time ago. A bunch of farmers with pitchforks and muzzle loaders got rid of the, the most powerful empire in the world, America, right? <laughs> but I don't understand the fascination. and People wake up at four in the morning to watch the royal wedding and all those kind of things, and that's fine. But in the United States, we don't really have royalty, but what we do have is celebrity. And celebrity is kind of our royalty here. And you might go, well, that's not me, but you probably have somebody that you would totally nerd out over if they walked through the door. Maybe it's Ben Roethlisberger. Maybe it's your favorite singer. Maybe it's your favorite actor. Whatever it is, you've got somebody that you would get a little weird about if they walked in. You'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) I can't, (laughs) right? You'd have that moment, probably. And this is how we respond to celebrity. And this is how we respond to royalty. We're giving instructions. No, 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 you don't look him in the eye. You got to act this way. You got to be this way. You got to, right? Don't turn your back. You've got to face. There's all these rules about posture, but God didn't send Jesus as a king in that way. He sent him as a baby, right, to a virgin. And what this does is displays that he is supernatural. He is God. But he's man as well. He's approachable. Babies aren't intimidating. I mean, for some of you, they are. When we ask you to serve in the nursery, you're like, <gasps> babies, right? There's something about a baby. There was a, a baby out in the lobby, one of the folks, they brought their grandbaby tonight. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at those cheeks, just overflowing, right? Give me, let me hold that baby. Oh, come here. There's something about a baby. And that's how God chose to send his son into the world, 100% man, approachable, relational, and 100% God, supernatural, able to meet every single one of your needs. Because if he was just 100% man, he'd be approachable, and he might be nice and kind, but he couldn't meet your needs. And if he was all supernatural, then he could meet your needs, but there's no way you could approach him this is what the virgin birth demonstrates for us. I mentioned earlier tonight, in the book of Isaiah, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, his name was Ahaz. And if you look in the lineage of Jesus, um, you'll find it in Matthew, just before the passage we read earlier. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter one. Ahaz is mentioned in there. He is... He is um, a forerunner of Christ. He is one of his ancestors. Um, And just so you know this too, the book of Matthew was written by a Jewish guy for a Jewish audience. And so when you look at the book of Matthew, we'll talk about the book of Matthew several times throughout this series. In the book of Matthew, um, he uses a lot of Old Testament scripture to reinforce the fact to the Jewish readers, hey, this guy is the Messiah. So, He did this, now let me tell you where that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So we see this in the book of Matthew. And so one of the things he mentioned was that Ahaz was one of his ancestors. Um, But what we see in Ahaz's life is pretty interesting because this is the guy that prophesied. And remember how boldly, and guys, guess what, the Savior's coming. He's got this, we don't have to worry. Bold, right? And if you look just a little bit further down the story of Ahaz, it's interesting because this guy has all the right words to say. But historically, what happened is um, he began feeling the pressure from all sides. He never joined the alliance of the Syrians and the Israelites, the northern kingdom. Um, he eventually caved and he hired the Assyrians to basically guard his people. So he came into an alliance with the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were evil. Evil, horrible people. And he said, my circumstances are beyond me. I'm too nervous. I am too. I don't know if, I know I said a Savior's coming. I don't know if a Savior's ever going to come. So this is what I'm going to do instead. I want to challenge you in this tonight. Because many of us do the same thing. Notice I didn't say many of you. Many of us do the same thing. We say the right things. We go, oh, God's got this. He's in control. And then we go, oh, the circumstances. I don't think. What are we going to do? we got to fix this. And we start trying to manipulate and make things happen and cajole and move and see what happened in Ahaz's life. He was in the, the Davidic line. So one of his ancestors was King David. And Jesus ultimately was going to come out of the house of David what happened, because Ahaz didn't trust God and didn't trust the prophecy that came forth, he he didn't believe the very words that he said, the Davidic line was broken. And after that, there were some people that were heirs to him that were still technically king over Judah, but they were not because they were always subjected to outside rulers. And that's one of the reasons we see that, that Christ was raised up, the, the lineage of David was restored through Christ is because Ahaz, the man who talked a big game, broke the lineage because he failed to trust God. So my challenge to you guys tonight is really simple. <laughs> are your actions demonstrating that your words are true? Is what you say you believe about God line up with what you really believe about God and that That's borne out in what you do, how you act, how you live your life. Because Ahaz knew the right things to say, but he ultimately didn't live them out. You know, as we talked through this tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to remind you that God is supernatural, that Christ is supernatural, that Christ is approachable, that Christ is our Savior, that Christ is taking initiative. He's chasing you down. He's in hot pursuit of your soul. And all these things are true because we see that Christ was sent through the Virgin. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for prophecy. And Lord, I know for many of us it's overwhelming and it's hard to understand at times, but God, thank you that your prophecy from the Old Testament for us today, it reminds us that you are a God that's in control. It reminds us that you're a God that's sovereign. It reminds us that you're a God who has a plan. It reminds us that you're a God that longs to encourage his people. So good Lord, I pray today, would you let us look at your word not just as a, as a good book, but God, as, a, as an encouragement to our souls. God, I pray for those here Maybe they've never really experienced your salvation. They're a little bit like those teenagers in the in the mind in Thailand, in that mind in Thailand. God, I pray right now you would begin drawing them. Help us see that we need a savior, that we need rescuing, and we can't do it ourselves, that we don't have it in our own ability and our own strength to save ourselves. So God, help us see that. And I pray for those here that aren't in relationship with you, God, that you would draw them to you right now, gently. I pray for those of us here who are in a relationship with you, God. I pray that you would just remind us of your truth. Remind us that you are a big God, you're a supernatural God. Remind us that you are a loving God, that you are a near God, that you're an approachable God. Remind us that you are a God who will intervene on our behalf, that you will fight for us. You'll chase us down. So have your way with us tonight, God with your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around, I just want to ask you tonight, if you're here and you say, Mel, I'm in need of a Savior. I'm not good enough to fix myself, fix my situation. I'm not strong enough. I'm not moral enough. I need God to save me. I need Jesus to rescue me tonight. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I want to pray with you right where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough, brave enough tonight to put your hand up real high where I can see it? If that's you and you say, Mel, I need a savior tonight. I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, a couple of hands in the center section. Thank you. Who else would say, that's me. Pray for me. Thanks. I see you, ma'am. I see you in the back. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Praise God. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. I need him to be my savior, to be my rescuer. Thank you, ma'am. On my right, I see you. Thanks. Yeah, I see you over here on my left. Praise God. Praise God. All right. With nobody looking around, I want everyone in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I didn't deserve it. Thank you that you rescued me, that you have taken me out of my hopelessness and you've put me in a place of hope. Help me live a life that brings glory to you, and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from this day on, I am yours. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause tonight, can we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I would love for you to take the next step for us. We want to help you begin to grow in your faith. And if you would, take one minute and fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you'll fill out the side of the card that says salvation and take it over to our info center when you get finished here today give it to them. They're going to give you a free Bible. They're going to give you some information about ways you can get connected here at Summit Church, some groups you can get signed up for, other resources. We're going to get you connected and help you begin to grow in your faith. If you're watching online, uh, we would love for you to respond if you pray that prayer with us. And you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. While they're doing that, our prayer team's going to come forward and they'll be on either side of the stage. You can see some of them are already there. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate you. Find one of our prayer team members. If you need prayer for any reason at all, they would love to agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, we're gonna get done singing. Uh, My wife, Pastor Kim, is gonna come and she'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go together. Guys, I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful night.